Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 70. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year's Eve on the day of this release, if you're catching up after the fact, as I suspect most of you are. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. It's the Roaring Twenties. 23 Skidoo. How, how excited are you? I know you've been excited for the return of the Twenties. I really am. You know what's weird, though? It didn't dawn on me, I guess because I'm so excited that we're entering the 20s again. It really didn't dawn on me until recently that we are at the end of a decade. It wasn't until I started listening to some of my podcasts that were doing the decade in review. And I was yeah. like, wow, it's, you know, it's been 10 years. And I guess, too, because I was so focused on, like, you know, some personal things. Like, my grandma turned 100 this year. We just celebrated her birthday in November. So... I was more thinking about this in terms of like, she's going to celebrate her second 20s. And it really didn't occur to me that, you know, everything that's happened in the past 10 years. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? That she's celebrating her second go at the roaring 20s. I know. I I hope this one's as good as the last for her. Yeah. Um, But we have a lot to talk about today. A lot that happened this year. A lot that's gone on in this. I don't want to call it the Disney decade because we had that in the in the 90s. But I feel like, in a way, this is sort of reminiscent of that because we're going to go over some of them in you know in the next little while here. But I feel like this was a big decade for Disney between uh, some of the animated classics that you saw, like Frozen became a phenomenon, Moana became a phenomenon. But it's also those are the obvious ones. But Marvel with the Avengers and Star Wars, like so much has happened. In the last 10 years that will have effects on Disney really for its entirety from this point moving forward. So influential, you know, Galaxy's Edge. Now you're seeing Marvel pop up in the parks and you're getting these Avenger campuses. All of this because of what has come in the last 10 years. No, and it's funny, too, because when you think about Star Wars, like, okay, they cranked out the second trilogy or the third trilogy, excuse me, in the in the past decade, Marvel's entire scope, the majority took place within the last 10 years, really, except for the couple of Iron Man movies when they were released under Sony. Right. Everything was within this decade. So it's amazing when you think of that, of, of how much they've accomplished in this span of time, especially when Disney started out this decade with their 50th animated feature. Right. Back in 2010. We're going to talk about all of that in just a few minutes here. But we do want to open the show. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to us for a while, you know that we took a trip down to Walt Disney World um, about a month and a half ago, almost two months ago now. Um, and we met a cast member named Tico who was absolutely fantastic. And we had a wonderful conversation with him at Disney's Animal Kingdom Park. And we had suggested to him to watch Waking Sleeping Beauty. And he did that. And we reviewed Waking Sleeping Beauty and had an interview with Randy Cartwright. That was back on episode 13, for those of you who would like to catch up. That was back in, like, November of last year. Right. After our California trip. Yes, but Tico saw the movie and took the time to write us a really nice email. Because he's the nicest human ever. Yeah, but he took the time to write us this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, um, 
but I do want to take a snippet of it. Um, he says, I just finished the movie, this being Waking Sleeping Beauty. It's amazing um, how well that fit into the storyline, having watched the movie Walt Before Mickey. It put things in pretty good perspective and really enlightened me on the backbiting intentions of the film industry. The egos I assumed, but I could only, uh, excuse me, uh, the egos I assumed, but I could actually feel and see the ego as the film went on. I thought it was more as a documentary, but I think the words that best describe it um, is that it's an attribute to those unseen heroes that truly made the industry, how often they're forgotten. This documentary, if you will, just doesn't go through the stages of history. Rather, you actually feel the camaraderie as each member sacrificed family time, slept at their desks, got carpal tunnel, and the crushing blow of having drawn the thousands and thousands of drawings, um, they only did them and they end up being trashed, and they have to be redone again at nauseam. It really made me feel in tune with their emotions and truly feel compassion for what they were going through. The bit on Howard, this being uh, Howard, Howard Ashman, Ashman, was so touching, but it was not overdone like it easily could have been. It was done in a very respectful and purposeful way. So that's just a small snippet of Tico's review. And yeah, he really off, put some time and thought into Tico, it. Tico, thank you for emailing us. We always love to hear from you. And if anybody else would like to email us, feel free to do that. Uh, monorealradio at gmail.com. But Tico, uh, other than thanking you for taking the time to email us, thank you for taking the time to act to really sit down and dissect this film and give us a very in-depth opinion of how you felt because I think that's what makes that film so special and that's why it has so much rewatchability because it really does sort of put you in the seat of the animator and it makes you feel for these people. Absolutely. And sort of looking at the bigger picture too, you know, when we reviewed that film, we had a DVD copy of it and it wasn't as accessible and that's why we recommended it to Tico when we when we met him in the parks. Um, because Disney Plus was coming out and we told him, you know... Like within five days of us meeting him. Exactly, because we were down there, yeah, the 12th was during our trip. So we told him, you know, when you get it, when you subscribe, we highly, highly recommend this film. So it was cool to see that, you know, he actually was still thinking of us and he went and did that. But even looking at the bigger picture a little bit, I've seen some of our downloads on that episode go up since Disney Plus has come out. And... I think it's so cool now that this film is so accessible to everyone. And I think it's so important because of the story that it tells about Disney's history. And I just love that everyone can have this knowledge now of what these animators went through. And there's a film that Don Hahn did that we saw at Tribeca Film Festival. I think that was about two years now, uh, two years ago now. Last year, I think 2018. Called Howard. It's about Howard Ashman. My understanding, and I don't know the exact date of it. But my understanding is that it's coming to Disney Plus. So if you really felt invested in Howard Ashman's story watching Waking Sleeping Beauty, I would implore you, and I'm sure we're definitely going to discuss it. Oh, I've been jonesing for this one. I would implore you to sit down and watch Howard when it eventually does launch on 
Disney Plus. Yeah, it's about another hour and a half and it really delves into his life and, you know, that Disney Renaissance era where, you know, his work with Alan Menken was the most prominent. And Little Shop of Horrors, too. Not a lot of people know that. Yes. That surprises a lot of people when they find out that he wrote Little Shop of Horrors. But when you think back on that show and you think about how tongue-in-cheek it is, and then you listen to some of the songs that he wrote for Disney, you can see the parallel. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about 2019. I'm sure Disney Plus will come up in the conversation because as we review the year of 2019 here, it's sort of impossible to do that without discussing Disney Plus. But I do want to talk about some of the films that were released this year. Most of them, um, you can go back to our Instagram to see our monoreal in a minute. Um, We are going to do more in-depth reviews of these films as we move on here. That is something that we're also looking forward to doing in 2020, at least for some of them. But we do want to talk about them at least for a few minutes because some of them were just tremendous blockbusters. Yes, and some of them, you know, we do our monoreal in a minute as soon as we get out of the theater. I'm curious to see how our opinions have changed because some of these now we've gotten multiple viewings of. Right, and we are... We, we're, we're guilty of changing our opinion after multiple viewings of, of a film. Sometimes you got to let it marinate a little bit. You didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy the first time you saw it. Oh, God. Am I ever going to live that one down? You really do tell people that every chance you get. Yes, I do. And no, you won't. <laughs> In short. But talking about a movie where I know at least my opinion has changed after multiple viewings. Uh, the first big release of the year... That came out back in March, March 8th to be exact, was Captain Marvel. Now, I gave Captain Marvel a very good review when we did our monoreal in a minute. But the more that I've watched that film and the more that I've seen her, you know, when we saw her in Endgame especially, the more I've really come to love this character. I remember the anticipation of this film was bananas when it came out. Even, you know, when they, and I forget which film it was in at this point, but when they, um, when they showed the pager. That was Infinity War. That was the, uh, that was the after the credits scene of Infinity War. Yes. I, I remember it was the after the credits. I just couldn't remember where they placed it because... You know, 10 years of this. Yeah. Plus all the other films that we're about to talk about. My, my brain's a little jumbled. But um, I remember people just going crazy for it. And then that built, you know, from the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, I really like this upon first viewing. And my opinion hasn't really changed that much. It's it's the rewatchability is there. Um, you know, we've had a couple of viewings of it this year. I love the character. I wish we would have seen more of her in Endgame, though. Yeah, well, I know that they're going to do another Captain Marvel film. I mean, they're going to do two more. Everything gets a trilogy now. Oh, yeah. No, Um, she'll get her due. Well, we're going to talk about Endgame in just a few minutes. Um, Because sandwiched in between Captain Marvel and Endgame was Dumbo. And that came out on March 29th. This was Tim Burton's Dumbo. I haven't had a second viewing of it yet. No. We're going to soon, though. We're going to do it soon. Um, in the next month or two, I think. Um, my first viewing was that the first half of the film was excellent. 
And I was I was actually blown away with how good the first half of this movie was. It all fall apart. It, it all falls apart in the second half for me. Yeah, I remember sitting there watching it and we were like, oh, thank God Burton redeemed himself from Alice in Wonderland. And then about halfway through the movie, we were like, oh, well, there Here he we goes. Go again. Uh, um, then there was Avengers Endgame, April 26th. This movie, the runtime of over three hours, we've watched it a, a few times since we saw it in the movie theater. Now, this movie, because of its runtime and because there's so much going on, I loved it in the first viewing. But it might just be the greatest superhero movie of all time now that I've watched it more and more. I don't know that it's better than The Dark Knight because I think The Dark Knight, my Batman bias aside, that movie was so unique mm. and it was so different. We hadn't really seen a movie tonally like that before. Um and I don't want to take away from what this was, but I think that by the time we got to this, because there had been so much buildup for it, the payoff was there, but I don't think it was quite as groundbreaking as The Dark Knight was. But to circle back around, yes, I wish that we would have seen more of Captain Marvel. If I have one critique. Right, because she pops up in the beginning of the film and then she's like, there's other planets that I need to go take care of. And then she comes back at the very end, which, I mean, yes, you do get the payoff and she does totally save the day. Um, and I I guess I kind of do see why. I wish we had more of her, but at the same time, this was not as much her story as it was for the core six Avengers. Right. Um. Yeah, I... I love that movie. I still watch it and cry at the end. I haven't made it through a viewing yet where I'm not choked up. Um, I think it was the perfect ending on all accounts. And I remember a lot of people said, though, that there were a lot of loopholes in the story and it didn't fit with the rest of either the Avengers trilogy or some of the individual films. I disagree. I I've watched it and I've found... Nothing. I mean, yes, there is a little bit of pandering to the fans, as demonstrated with, you know, Captain America's fight with himself. Yep. That's America's ass. Exactly. But I think it still tells a good story and it still wraps everything up in a bow. And, you know, I do miss having that experience of seeing it in the theater where you get the applause every time one of them comes on screen or like the gasps when something big happens or you know when Gwyneth Paltrow drops in in the suit I remember everybody was just like slack-jawed when yeah. that happened that entire last half hour of the movie was like being at a playoff game people were hooting and howling they were screaming they were jumping up and down in the movie theater and and it, it deserved it I want to touch on something you said and I don't want to go too far off on a tangent because we do have a lot to talk about here but I'm getting a little sick and tired with people who are taking the quote-unquote catering to the fanboys and using it as a negative narrative as to why they dislike a film. I'm sorry, but you know what? The fans of these films have been with these films for an awful long time. It's why you're making them. Dating back much further than Iron Man. You know, because the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire came out in, two th 
2002, I think. I believe that was 2002. I think so. That was, and I will tell that was you, still in high school. I think I, so. I think that was 02. And I'll tell you why I think that was 02. Because the original trailer for that movie, I remember this because I've been with the Marvel movies for a long time. The original trailer for that movie I saw in the summer of 2001. The teaser had him trap a helicopter in a spider web that he had built between the Twin Towers. And they cut that scene out of the movie, obviously, That's because right. the towers came down. But there is a scene that I recognize from the trailer in the montage where he's out fighting crime, where it zooms in on his face and he turns and he fires his web. But they left the reflection of the World Trade Center in his glasses. Oh, wow. It's, it's quick. If you, don't, if you don't know the original trailer, you would miss it. I missed it for maybe the first six months that I watched the movie because that was one that was like on loop on my DVD player. But it's there. I'm wondering if in re-releases they cut it out, but on the original DVD release it's there. But my point is this. That's going back now almost 20 years. Right. So there are people who have been with these films for a long time that stuck through the horrendous end of Spider-Man and some of the other lackluster movies that had come out when Marvel had, was trying to reboot itself. So I'm sorry. There's nothing wrong with pandering to the fans who read the comics, who had the toys, who grew up with the movies. It's, it's, a, it's to me, it's become so lazy in terms of a criticism of why people don't like a movie. Well, it really, the argument goes beyond just the fans, though. It's because, you know... When these, especially the franchise films, comes come out or it's an IP or something, you have people that are going to go see it no matter what. They're, whether they were fans of the comic or maybe if you weren't a fan of the source material, you found something to identify with that either a director did or an actor brought to it or whatever it is. So you're going to stick with it no matter what. The issue is that... When something is successful, because people have latched onto it, the studios see that, and the studios still want everybody who bought a ticket the first time to come to the next one, plus a couple of hundred thousand more. So it's not just about pandering to the fans. It's that the studios want that to happen, and the argument becomes, do you sacrifice some of the art and the story to tell these films just for the sake of putting the butts in seats in a movie theater. And you want to talk about a polarizing film that had people on two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. The next movie that Disney released about a month after Endgame was the live-action Aladdin film. came out on May 24th. I understand why people didn't like it, Mm -hmm. but with all that being said... I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I loved this one and still do. I think there was a lot of expectation to hate it. And I think the people that didn't like it, it was just because they were predisposed to dislike it. Um, And I think that's one of the things that I enjoyed the most was that I was able to just sit there and watch this and strip everything else away and enjoy this film for what it was. Um, I love the cast I love 
the added song when they give Jasmine a song and she sings uh, Speechless. I think that was amazing. I mean, that's Alan Menken. Of course I was going to love it, but I think it is one of his finest songs. And Naomi Scott killed it. Oh my God, she crushed it. Um, I like the little variations to the character. They made Jasmine a lot stronger and I love Will Smith. I, I think he was an excellent genie and I did not think I was going to be able to get my head around anything other than Robin Williams. Yeah, I think he did a very good job, you know, to fill those shoes. I thought Naomi Scott, I said it before, was fantastic. Um, Did not love Jafar. um, But other than that, I don't have a ton of criticism here. I think the movie is beautifully shot. Um, I do like the Bollywood feel they put to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I was I was cautiously optimistic going in. I think as a lot of people are with these things, but with all of that being said, yeah, I I did enjoy it and have enjoyed it on on future viewings and eventually we'll give it the traditional monoreal treatment as well. Uh The Dark Phoenix came out in June. Um of all of the films that came out this year, this was actually the only one we didn't get to see. Um this was an expensive year, guys. Yeah, this was an expensive year. Plus, you were working on Quest to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that was that was the other thing, was that I was working based on hockey games, and because most of those teams played the full seven, I didn't know what my work schedule was going to be. Yeah, you can thank the St. Louis Blues for that, but you made your mouse money. Oh, it was so worth it, though. That was a fun, it was fun working on that. Admittedly, though, I haven't seen all of the X-Men movies. I've kind of, like, dipped in and out of there, but... This one will be worth revisiting because we're getting another Deadpool. Absolutely, which I'm very excited about. And we just saw a teaser a poster drop, uh, as they so eloquently put, from the studio that killed Iron Man. Um, <laughs> I wonder if they let Ryan Reynolds do all of his own marketing. I'm pretty sure that they do. Or if there is a whole brilliant team behind this. But I, I think, think it's, it's just him. him. I think it's him. June 21st, Toy Story 4. There's one other movie that was a sequel this year that I feel was as unnecessary as Toy Story 4. Between the two of them, I think I was the most disappointed in Toy Story 4. We'll get to that other sequel in just a minute. But Toy Story 4, this movie didn't do it for me. Um, This movie broke my heart for all of the wrong reasons. There was no reason for it. I understand a billion worldwide was enough of a draw, but I don't think this movie was necessary. I'll stand by that. I have seen it more than once. Um, and as Detour to Neverland had said to you and I, we're just going to tell our kids that there were three Toy Story movies, <laughs> and, and that'll be it. Um, and, and I tend to agree with that. This movie just... It, I, I, don't, I, I know I'm repetitive, but it, this movie was not necessary. And I don't feel like a story end. Like I felt like Toy Story three was the perfect ending. Yeah, this is just another thing, and I can see where people look at things like this and say it's a cash grab. And I personally believe that's exactly what it was. Well, we had been saying that kind of leading up to its release because we did back in June. We did the trilogy leading up to it, and I remember. We were saying how unnecessary it was and we were speculating so much on what they could possibly do with the plot because three ended perfectly. And we were like, what strings could you possibly draw to give us a new storyline? And 
I remember going into it thinking, you know what, I don't care because I want to revisit these characters. And I was happy to have another one and, you know, see the comedy again and just revisit the nostalgia, which is why they do films like this. And that's why they do feel cash grabby. And this is the one it's like where where the fans are concerned. You can't unsee it now. Right. And that's what I was most disappointed about. I wish we hadn't gone. I wish it didn't exist in the universe. And it's going to be hard to watch the rest of them now, knowing how much they bastardized this entity. I agree with that. Because even walking in the park, I was kind of bitter, to yeah, be honest with every you. Every time I saw that stupid fork, because I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I don't I didn't find Forky to be that funny. No. Forky We was haven't funny. watched the shorts yet. We Forky won't. Forky was funny. For a few minutes, and then he just got annoying to me. Definitely. That's also, by and large, that's not my type of humor. I don't go for that, you know, awkward, quirky humor. I think certain films pull it off. I think Kristen Wiig pulls that off very well. That's exactly who I was thinking of. But I just didn't buy it in that movie. No, not at all. And I I don't, it went so left at the end. I know we usually spoil things and we've, you know, kind of spoiled Captain Marvel and Endgame and all that kind of stuff. This I won't say just yet because I feel like there are families who may not have seen it yet that are waiting for it on Disney+. Plus. Um, so I want to give them the chance. But I, I feel like the end was so completely out of character for Woody and I don't like where they left it. Agreed. And I hope they don't do any more after this because then you're really going to be missing something. Yeah, I guess. Um, They'll do another one. I know. Um, The Lion King live action remake by Jon Favreau came out on July 19th. And this is almost a complete shot for shot remake. And that had a lot of people very upset. Now, when I go back and I look at something like The Jungle Book, for example, that Favreau also did, there were a lot of things about that movie that I really liked in the first viewing, but by the time we got to the end of the film, that luster had sort of worn off. We did that review. We reviewed uh, both the animated and the live-action Jungle Book, I believe. That was episodes two two and and three. three. You can go back and listen to it there. Um but in this aspect, I was quite happy with a shot-for-shot remake of what is really a perfect film. The Lion King is a perfect film. And so I could live with this. I had one critique of it, but I'm going to leave that to you because I know you had, a, you had an issue with it as well. There's one shot that I have an issue with. Okay. As far as this being shot-for-shot. There's a part in Circle of Life where all of the animals are going to Pride Rock and the shot is, I believe it's either the zebras or the antelope. I think it's the zebras. And they rack focus to the ants. And for those who are unfamiliar with the term racking focus is when you focus on something in the background and the front is fuzzy or vice versa. So they change, it's the same shot, but they just change the focus to make something else sharper. And 
when they did it in the animation, it's so clever because you actually had to actively, you know, smear out the background and put these ants in the front so that they're in focus and and switch it. And it's so impressive because you had to draw all of that. So you do it here and it's kind of like, well, that's what makes live action live action is because you can make choices like that and do shots like that. So it's far less impressive. And like that was something where I was kind of like, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but you didn't need it. And and that's where Favreau could have deviated just a little bit. I'm glad that he didn't because I think people would have been way too up in arms if he you know, did too much with the story or didn't nail that open. Um, but it's just that one shot where it's like, you know, that's that's the magic of animation and you're not getting the same thing out of it. Yeah. Be Prepared was a bit of a letdown. It was a verse. We didn't even get the whole song and I was so looking forward to that more than anything else. Again, we're going to give the movie its full monoreal treatment sooner rather than later. But I can see in this version of The Lion King where Scar wasn't so eccentric. It wasn't the same as when Jeremy Irons did it, so I kind of understand why they made that choice. But with that being said, because that scene is so big in the original Lion King, for it to fall short here was a bit of a letdown. But I think they had so much else go right that I can sort of forgive that one. I mean, I don't think it was. Was it as as was that as egregious as the bare necessities in the Jungle Book? No. But if you were going to make the character less flamboyant, that's fine because I think that that's something that Jeremy Irons contributed that you can't replicate. But like, make Scar meaner, then scare me a little bit more. Sing the song, you know, become completely unhinged, then like Shere Khan. Yes. Like how Favreau yes. did Sheer Khan. So exactly. that's what I'm saying. Favreau exactly. did so many good things, and then other things were not so great in the Jungle Book. I felt more things than not were really good here, but that's that's a good compare and contrast, I that's believe. Perfect, actually. Yeah, no, that's the perfect comparison. And then October rolls around. October 18th, we get. There's Malef- a huge gap, by yeah. the way. We've been going month by month. You had. D23 in the middle here, so they didn't do a release for three months. Yeah. Well, we all had to catch our breath after D23. Maleficent Mistress of Evil, right? That was the title, Mistress of Evil? Yeah, something like that. It was It was so bad. It was, it was by far a worse film than Toy Story 4, but I had no expectations for this going in. I wasn't nearly as invested in Maleficent. That's the thing. Angelina Jolie wasn't doing this like 10 years ago where I really got invested and was worried about it. Or like Sleeping Beauty wasn't that big in my childhood where I was soul crushed by the end of this. The other thing is she killed Maleficent in the first movie. I thought that was a very good movie. We did that review as well. But when I saw the trailer for this, I was like, this isn't necessary and it looks dumb. But we have the AMC Stubbs program now. I wish we would have had it earlier in the year. It would have saved us a lot of money. But that was like a, well, we have the AMC Stubbs. I got nothing going on on Wednesday night. You're out of work early. Let's go. And that was about as far an effort as I was going to make to see this movie. I had said it when we did our Maleficent review and... I think this theory just kind of 
I feel vindicated after seeing Maleficent 2. I think what they should have done because Maleficent was the prequel was given us her backstory and ended the movie with her going to the castle. Like you could have made her last nine, her last line well, well, and then rolled the credits and been fine with that. And then if you were going to do a sequel, now you remake Sleeping Beauty. Here, we saw Sleeping Beauty kind of entangled with Maleficent, and now you're coming up with storylines that are completely unnecessary, unmotivated. You killed a fairy like you put her through a wood chopper. Like, that was insane. And you know what? There were long stretches of time in Maleficent 2 where you don't see the title character. And not like cut away because Aurora was having some coming of age moment or some big scene. No, it's just like she's gone. She almost became a secondary character in her own movie when it came to the second one. Right. I liked Michelle Pfeiffer in it, but I feel like the whole thing with Aurora's in-laws and or Philip's parents, you don't see Philip a lot either. No. This is all in preparation for their wedding and it just it, it just didn't work. Did not work at all. The next Disney film to get a release was on Disney Plus launch day on November 12th of this year. It was also another live action remake. This was, of course, Lady and the Tramp. And I understand why this was a straight to Disney Plus. I know they wanted something for launch day. Would it have done well in the movie theaters? Probably not. I think that this was the right move for them. But with that said, it's a theater quality movie. Absolutely. Um, it wasn't so jarring as I, and maybe because we had already seen it with the Favreau stuff, it definitely wasn't as jarring as I thought it was going to be to see the dogs talking. Um, I love how they blended. They almost did kind of a Charlie Brown thing where you don't see the adults a lot in the beginning. Um, that was one of the things I feel that they changed. They did really make this more Jim Deere and Darling heavy. Yes. Which I think worked. The animated one was a lot shorter, so you can kind of get away with that. But to fill time, and it didn't feel like, it, it, it didn't feel unnecessary. It didn't make the film drag. But to fill time, they did add a lot more substance to their story, which I think was a smart choice. It was. Um, I do think, again, beautifully shot, great sets, great costumes. Um, and I do think that it translated well. Again, all of these films will get the traditional monoreal treatment sooner rather than later. I'm just glad that Aunt Sarah finally got her due. That was the best part of that movie. <laughs> I literally stood up and gave the film a standing ovation. <laughs> and we saw it right after our trip because we were in the Magic Kingdom on launch day. We weren't going to take time away from our trip to watch television. No, so this was our first weekend back, so we were already in a pretty bad mood because we were home and this kind of flipped that on its head <laughs> and i felt great again november 22nd frozen what happened two, that day frozen two we were lucky enough to get tickets to um an advanced screening of it and my opinion hasn't changed because we only saw it the one time um but it is consistent in that the movie is visually stunning i love the growth of these characters i love that we get some more substance from some of the background characters that i think was lacking in the first frozen film 
And I think that this was a fantastic sequel because there was a large margin for error here and they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, this film had like the weight of the world on its shoulders as far as pressure to deliver and it absolutely did. They knocked it out of the park. I loved it. I didn't think I was going to love anything as much as the first one. Um, I definitely agree with all of the points you made. Um, I think where they went with all of the characters, it definitely shows growth without changing them too much. I feel like people complained a little bit about that, that it didn't feel true to the original. And I disagree. I think you need a second viewing of it to let it really sink in. Um, And the other thing is, you know, you had to do this. You had to get them out of Arendelle. You would have regressed too much otherwise. We got to see the preview of it while we were in Disney, they at yep. the end of One Man's Dream, they always have like a little preview. So we decided to stop and see the 10 minute clip of Frozen and they previewed into the unknown. So that was the only thing going in where I was a little hesitant because I was like, if this is your attempt to outdo Let It Go. It fell short and I didn't think they were ever going to be able to do it. And. I also worry about Idina getting vocal fry. They really pushed her notes and that that gave me I was very concerned over that. But then they did the show yourself sequence and I was like they they actually did something comparable to let it go. I was completely blown away by that whole sequence. Um, Also honorable mention to Lost in the Woods. I people were complaining that it was unmotivated that was all the 80s cheese that we never knew we needed in Frozen. And it was brilliant. And that's where you see the age gap because there were yeah. a lot of people when I read reviews online, and I try not to, but sometimes you just can't help yourself, where a lot of the millennials and the younger generation go, this song is so bad. It's so stupid. It's well, like, that was for your parents. It's like, but it was meant to be tongue in cheek. Yeah, It was not meant to be taken seriously. It was meant to be a goof. But they really pulled it off. The whole sequence is good, and it's a fun song. It's also a really good song. Like, if you really listen to the lyrics, like, the Lopez's were just hitting on everything, you know, words like True North and Landmark, and, you know, it it does actually deliver on it in the end, and that's where you really got to pay close attention is because Kristoff is literally lost in the woods, And he's singing about, metaphorically, how lost he is without Anna. But the interesting thing is, you know, they do kind of drop the hints throughout the lyrics and deliver on it later because Anna is lost too. But in her song, you know, they gave her a big solo number and Kristen Bell performs it beautifully. There's so much emotion in her voice when she sings the next right thing. And She's really unsure how to continue. She doesn't have Olaf by her side this time. She's really all alone. And now where Elsa in Frozen 1 was finding her inner strength, now it's Anna that's doing it. Yes. Um, I thought that the character growth for both Anna and Elsa was totally spot on because they look a little bit older, the way that they're animated and the outfits that they wear, the way they do their hair, but... The way that they emote things, especially in the eyes, they've grown up Mm -hmm. a lot. Speaking of growing up, um, again, I want to touch on the buffoons that don't understand 
um, that this was an 80s trope and it was meant to be. I guarantee half of them have Poison, Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses faded tees that they bought <laughs> from some magazine. And they don't know who any of these bands are, but they wear it like under a leather jacket because it's trendy now. Yeah, or like you bought it in Hot Topic. Exactly. Uh, go listen to uh, Home Sweet Home. Go listen to Every Rose Has Its Thorn. And th- that's where this song drew influence from. You own the shirt, but you don't know why. You know what a lot of people didn't like about growing up, too, was the existential crisis with Olaf. That was the funniest part of the movie. Yeah. I don't know what people are not liking about it. I mean, maybe it's because he was slightly less. uh, But no, he wasn't less silly. He was just as silly. He just had more speaking lines. Yeah. I think that's. Mm. And that'll be interesting when we give it the full treatment and we really watch it a couple more times is that I think Olaf probably had less physical comedy in this one, less falling apart and being put back together, which is what the kids are going to find funny. Um, Here it was more in the dialogue. But good on you, Josh Gad. You do you. And I'm glad you met Samantha. Yes. Um, The end of this month... um the 20th of December saw the end of the Skywalker saga with the release of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Can we just... It's very interesting now, this shift where we're calling it the Skywalker saga, because up until very recently, it was Episode Nine. okay, fine, and everybody was saying the end, the end, the end, but now it's the Skywalker saga. And the implication is that we're going to get more. Disney, I implore you, just wait. You want to do it? Do it on Disney+. Plus. Mandalorian, excellent. Okay, fine. But just stop with the movies for a while. I agree. I think they need to take a break for a little while, um, especially if the rumors are true that Ryan Johnson is going to head the next trilogy. No, stop it. Yeah. You stop. Yeah, well, um, please don't make that. We saw Knives Out. It was excellent. It was one of the best movies I've seen this year, and it made me so angry. Because I said, why couldn't you have done this with Star Wars? Why could you not have done this with Star Wars? And I'm going to just die on that hill. And here's the thing, though. I actually, I I said it when we reviewed it, that was one of my favorite sequels, but not for any of the directing choices that were made. You just like the film in its entirety. I like the story and I like the film overall, but there were a couple of things that didn't make sense within the rest of the universe. And where people didn't like The Rise of Skywalker is because... J.J. Abrams tried to right those wrongs and they did disconnect a little bit from what Ryan Johnson did. Like, for example, one of the things I really didn't like about and I I did like Rise of Skywalker, but something that stood out to me was that you had this big build up for Rose and she goes absolutely nowhere for the end of this. They didn't deliver on that character at all. I know that upset a lot of people. I can live with that because I don't care about Rose. I didn't care about Rose in The Last Jedi. I don't care about Rose in The Rise of Skywalker. I didn't care about her so much in The Last Jedi, but like I thought they were going somewhere with her, and I would have liked to care more. Um, I, I didn't like her love story with um, 
with Finn in that movie. There was just I didn't think she added anything to the Last Jedi. Personally, I don't care that they hardly used her in this, and I know that's going to send a lot of people off the deep end, and that's fine. Um, you can let us know your opinion on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. But um, it, she just doesn't do it for me. It, I don't care. But I, I, I see where people have issue with it because if this is supposed to be a conclusion, you didn't conclude her. Exactly. But I also feel like this universe is so vast, you do not need to close the book on every single character. Because it's my understanding that this movie had a much longer runtime than we saw, and it really got slashed down. Why Disney felt people could watch over three hours of Marvel but not over three hours of Star Wars, I don't understand. Because mm-hmm. I would have been happy sitting through three and a half hours of a Star Wars movie, but I, I don't make those decisions. But I, I, I don't think you'd need, you need to close the door on everybody. I don't know that you did, honestly. I don't even know that the door is closed on Kylo Ren. Because if you think about it, they brought everyone back to the place where they were keeping Palpatine alive. So now there's this love story between him and Rey. And I know that Daisy Ridley is kind of back and forth with if she would want to reprise the character. But like, they even left that door open where she could choose to keep him alive. I hope that they don't because I think that tied up really nicely. The only thing, and I've said this a million times, I didn't like her last line. No, I didn't like it at all. I don't think she has a right to claim herself as a Skywalker. And part of the other thing is that, you know, and this is where I don't even know that I like so much that she was a Palpatine is because they drove home so much and Kylo Ren said it so much that she came from no one. Her parents were no one. So it was far more impressive to have this scrappy little girl be in tune with the force and trained to become a Jedi. You know, it's more of a hero's journey because you're starting from nothing. Now it's kind of like planting the idea that you have to have the bloodline. For her to be as powerful as she was, she needed to have the bloodline. You, it, it, she can't just be a random person that is that connected to the force. I'll give you that one. And so in that regard, I guess the last line is fitting because she wants to declare herself on the good side of the force. But I don't know. That was just kind of weird to me. Like, I think then the whole family should have been standing there. Like, you should have had Kylo Ren there as well if they were going to pass the torch with the name. Or I would have liked if she said Ray Solo. I would have been okay with that if she felt that connection to Kylo Ren. I don't and, want to spoil and to Han, though. I don't want to spoil too much more of this movie because there are a lot of people who haven't seen it yet. But we're going to give it its full treatment eventually. We've got a long way to go until we get to that point. We're going to do something really interesting right now because this is the end of a decade and we have the official list of every Disney film that's ever been released. As per D23. As per D23. So we're going to go down year by year. We'll read off the films that were released in 2010, and then we'll go 2011, and then 2012, etc., and so forth. We're going to each pick what we think was the best movie from that particular year, and then we will each determine what we believe the best film of the decade was. I got to say, 
there were more releases than I thought. I really thought when we sat down to do this, it was going to be maybe like one live action up against one either animation or Pixar. But you forget how and, and some years were so much more robust than others. Um, we are just sticking to Disney, though. We're not doing Buena Vista and we're not, as usual, touching Fox acquisitions just yet. Right. Do you want? Do we want to do Touchstone? Uh, probably not. I, I don't feel, think it's I, necessary. I don't think it's necessary because, with few exceptions, I don't think there's any Touchstone movie that's better than a Marvel, a Star Wars, a Disney. You know what I'm saying? Right. Plus, Frozen came out in this decade, and you're going to be hard pressed to pit anything against that. All right. Well, Jackie just spoiled her list. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to start with the year 20, 2010. Had a lot of movies. That's what I'm saying. I f- I forgot. All right. So the films that came out in 2010 were When in Rome, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, Waking Sleeping Beauty, Oceans, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, Toy Story 3, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Tales from Earthsea, Tinkerbell and the Great Fairy Rescue, Secretariat, Tangled and Tron Legacy. 2010 was a big year. That blows my mind that they did what we thought was the end of Toy Story and then their 50th animated in the same year. Right. That's this is crazy. Can I say that for a second? Yeah, you go ahead, because I, I already know what I'm gonna what I'm listing. Um there were a lot of great movies on that list. I loved Tron Legacy. Uh, I wax poetic about Tangled when we did the review of that. Oceans is absolutely beautiful shot. Uh, beautifully shot, I should say, if you love the Disney nature films. We've really enjoyed Prince of Persia. What it really comes down to for me in 2010 was either Waking Sleeping Beauty or Toy Story 3. And I feel remiss if I don't give Toy Story 3 the win here, as much as I love Waking Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, you know what? I was going to say Waking Sleeping Beauty until I realized that Toy Story 3 also came out that year. Okay, so we're in agreement that the top film of 2010 was Toy Story 3. Okay, moving oh, on. 2010, Jackie and Sean, you were so naive. Moving on to 2011. Mars Needs Moms. What? Yep. African Cats, Kingdom of Courage. And the Muppets. That's it. This was a very slow year for Disney, but after the 2010 that we just rambled off, I'm not really surprised by any of that. I mean, Muppets would have been it's, my choice no yeah, matter what. That's that's a it's a landslide. I, the only thing I would question, like if it came out the same year of Frozen, I might be torn for like a nanosecond. But no, Muppets hands down. Okay, so we're both in agreement. 2011 best film was Muppets. Not that it had a lot of competition, but it would have beaten just about anything. Okay, 2012. We have The Secret World of Arietta, John Carter, Chimpanzee, Marvel's The Avengers, Brave, uh, let's see, what else do we have here? The Odd Life of Timothy Green, Secrets of the Wings, Frankenweenie, and Wreck-It Ralph. Do you want to take yeah, a look at that list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a 
That's some steep competition. No, here. this is a two horse race between Wreck It Ralph and the Avengers. And that, that's what I mean is the steep competition. I and I, I love Wreck It Ralph. It's the Avengers. As good as Wreck It Ralph is, I love it for the nostalgia. There's no doubt in my mind that the Avengers is the best film on that list in the year 2012. Well, I say nerds to you. You're going Wreck-It Ralph? I'm going Wreck-It Ralph. Okay. I loved Wreck-It Ralph. And don't get me wrong, I love Avengers too, but like, it, it was a cool movie and it blew me away, but there was nothing like the love letter to my childhood that was Wreck-It Ralph. Fair enough. Okay. 2013. Oz the Great and Powerful. Oh, that hurts. Don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> Thor the Dark World. Frozen. And Saving Mr. Banks. Ooh! Yep. That's tough. It Really, it's only tough between Saving Mr. Banks and Frozen. This is very tough for me. I love I love Saving Mr. Banks, but I gotta go Frozen. I agree. I can't not go Frozen. I, I agree with you. It's a global phenomenon that has yet to go away, and it never will. Honestly, I mean... In any other year, Saving Mr. Banks probably wins, though. No, and it's it's also different because it's just a completely different type of film. It's It probably is the better film, but if we're talking about our personal choice, it's frozen all the way. 2014. The Pirate Fairy. Muppets Most Wanted. Captain America the Winter Soldier. Oh, boy. Disney Nature's Bears. Million Dollar Arm, Maleficent, Planes, Fire and Rescue, Guardians of the Galaxy, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, Big Hero 6, and Into the Woods. Another tremendous year in 2014. I'll give you that list if you want to look that over. Now my decision is made. I mean, you've got... Two very strong Marvels there, but I got to go Guardians. All right, you're going Guardians. I loved Big Hero 6, and Into the Woods was great, but I got to go Guardians. Again, it's a two-horse race. I loved Maleficent. I loved Big Hero 6. Is it Guardians, or is it the Winter Soldier. Wait a second. The irony here is that I just chose Guardians, which you're so quick to tell everyone, as you did previously. Well, here, here's the thing <laughs> with Guardians. It's, it's great. Right. It's, it's a great movie. I think it changed the way comic book movies were made. 100%. Oh. But Captain America, the you Winter love that Soldier, it does so much to set up the rest of the MCU. I'm going with Winter Soldier. I would honestly have been shocked if you didn't pick that because when we've like ranked our Marvel order before, you always put that one it's, towards the top of the list. Yeah, it's it's absolutely at the top of the list. I love Guardians of the Galaxy, and I will rag on you for the rest of eternity that you didn't like it the first time we saw it. <laughs> but between the two movies, it's Captain America. All right. Well, I saw the light. There we go. 2015. Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast. Yeah, that's my pick. McFarland, USA. Cinderella. Disney Nature, Monkey Kingdom. Avengers, Age of Ultron. Tomorrowland, Inside Out. 
Ant-Man, The Good Dinosaur, uh, Dinosaur, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Ooh. This I thought this was such loaded. an easy choice. Nope, no. This is fully loaded. I mean, we love Tomorrowland. We said it's an underrated, forgotten film. We've reviewed that pretty recently. Uh, Same thing, and Age I of mean, Ultron is great. I loved the Cinderella remake. And Force Awakens. I, I actually think I'm going to go Age of Ultron, though. Okay, so Jackie's going to go Age of Ultron, and it will surprise nobody that I'm going with Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, That's not to say, though, that I didn't love Inside Out. Yeah. That, that I, uh, I almost want to change it. I'm not going to. We've I'm not gonna, moved on into the next year if you want to change it. I'm, I'm going to... Mm. See, here's the thing with Inside Out. Again, in any other year, it probably beats most movies. That's the thing. It's a strong contender, but and it is one of the best films of the decade. Not just Disney, but like across the board. But I kind of already have in my head what was the best film of the decade, and it's it's not going to hold so up. So gonna, I'm just gonna okay, I'm just gonna let it stick because Age of Ultron. I forgot how much there's similar to The Winter Soldier. There's a lot that a lot of setup in that movie. That sets up the rest of the MCU. That they also deliver on an endgame. Yes, they did. Okay. Um, and, and it's Star Wars The Force Awakens. For the same reason you love Wreck-It Ralph, for me it's the nostalgia. It's it's hearing the music again. It's seeing some of the characters that I loved and introducing new characters that I loved. And I thought that it was a fantastic way of setting up the next trilogy. 2016, The Finest Hours, which we actually gave a copy of... Uh, away as a prize um yes chris pine's other film yes zootopia the jungle book captain america civil war alice through the looking glass finding dory the bfg pete's dragon queen of katwe dr strange oh wow moana oh wow and rogue one Dang. All right. I'm going to let you simmer on that for a second. And I, I, as I'm reading down this list, Zootopia was, was a lot of fun. It's Captain America's Civil War is so damn good. But so is Doctor Strange. Yeah. And so is Rogue One. <sighs> it's Captain America's Civil War. I should have pulled this up on my phone because we are actually... Passing a piece of paper back and forth. As great as Rogue One is, and as great as Doctor Strange is, similarly, the Captain America trilogy, of of all of the completed trilogies that we've seen in the MCU, is the most solid one. All three movies have been fantastic. When you see Spider-Man in the film start that relationship with Tony Stark so much of that is necessary for what comes in Infinity War and Endgame but other than just being a setup film it's just a very well made movie I actually think I'm going to go Rogue One wow yeah for somebody that is not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world really is just started jumping on on the franchise more recently 
that's I thought you were gonna say bandwagon, and I would have I would have got the lightsaber yeah, out of again. But that says a lot that you would have picked that over something in the MCU. I actually, I really loved Rogue One. It was it was heartbreaking at the end. That yeah. because it takes you out of the Star Wars universe. It could have it could have been anywhere. It, it the story just knows no bounds. It was just so good. Okay, uh, twenty seventeen, the Beauty and the Beast live action film, Disney Nature Born in China. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. I fell asleep on it in the theaters. Um, so that's, I'm not spoiling anything there. Cars 3, Thor Ragnarok, Coco, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Coco, it's hands Coco down for me. It's Coco for you. It's Coco for me. Wow. Over Ragnarok. Yep. Wow. Ragnar- because I love Ragnarok. It is one of my favorite MCU films. And and I they definitely were jumping on the coattails of Guardians of the Galaxy. But Coco is a beautiful movie. And I know I had my problems with it. I do think that the screenwriting in Coco at times is unforgivably bad. But it doesn't change the fact that it's otherwise a brilliant movie. Okay. 2018. Black Panther. A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, that's it. Film of the decade. We're done. Avengers Infinity War. Solo. Uh, Where are we here? Incredibles 2. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Christopher Robin. The Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Ralph Breaks the Internet. Mary Poppins Returns. You want me to run through those again? There's a lot going on there. I'm going to run through it one more time. Black Panther, A Wrinkle in Time, Infinity War, Solo, Incredibles 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Christopher Robin, The Nutcracker in the Four Realms, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Mary Poppins Returns. Comes down to two for me. Black Panther and Mary Poppins Returns, and I'm going Mary Poppins. I liked it that much. Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. Hmm. So it's get, now it gets very interesting for me because Black Panther is outstanding. I had fun with Solo in spite of the court of public opinion. Incredibles 2 is so good. I know. I Robin did love that one. so but... good. Ralph Breaks the Internet is good, not great. Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns and Infinity War, though. See, <sighs> that was kind of an easy decision for me to make because Black Panther actually knocked out Infinity War. And that's kind of how I, I narrowed it down. And I, I mean, I loved Incredibles, but I really, I really did love Mary Poppins Returns. I think because we weren't expecting it to be as good as the original. And it was. Here's what I'm struggling with. I'm struggling with, is it Avengers Infinity War after multiple viewings, after the first time I saw it? Because I did not like Infinity War the first time I saw it. It took a few viewings for me to really appreciate that movie. Oh, isn't that interesting? You had the same opinion. Stop. Um, 
But I loved Mary Poppins Returns. You know what I think the issue was with Infinity War now is that it almost seems like a bridge film now that we've had Endgame. It, and, and Captain it Marvel. It, yeah, and it is. Yeah, it very it totally much is. is. But it's a necessary bridge film. Yeah. It's Mary Poppins Returns. I actually mm. think I'm going to go with you on that one. Okay. Because Infinity War grew on me. I didn't need Mary Poppins to grow on me. And there are people freaking out right now. And listen, Incredibles 2, here's the thing with this particular year. Almost any of these movies in most years, not any year, but in most years, is probably the best one. Incredibles 2 is exactly that. It's incredible. Christopher Robin is is a fantastic movie. Black Panther is so unique in its look and its aesthetic. That's a tough year. 2018 yeah. was a very difficult year. Okay. Now we go back to 2019. Yeah, I'm interested to see. We're probably, we started together. Now we're divided. We're coming back together, but I don't think we're going to have the same one for this year. Actually, I think... Mine is going to surprise you because okay. it's not Frozen 2. Okay. Then I know what it is. Um, let's go through this year. Captain Marvel, Dumbo, Endgame, Aladdin, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Toy Story 4, The Lion King, Maleficent 2, The Mistake, Frozen <laughs> 2, and The Rise of Skywalker. It's Endgame for me. And it's not even close. I I enjoyed The Rise of Skywalker very much. Frozen 2 was outstanding. I really did love The Lion King. I really did love Aladdin. Captain Marvel was a, was so much fun. It gets better every time I see it. But it's, it's Avengers Endgame. I love Endgame. I think it was the perfect cap on everything. But it's actually Aladdin for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I told you you weren't expecting it. Nope. Didn't see that one coming. I thought you were going to say Captain Marvel. I loved it that much. All right. So, okay. Here's the list then. We'll start with my picks. These are the top films from each year of the decade. As a reminder, 2010 was Toy Story 3. 2011 was The Muppets. 2012 was The Avengers. 2013 was Frozen. 2014, Captain America The Winter Soldier. 2015, Star Wars The Force Awakens. 2016, Captain America Civil War. 2017, Coco. 2018, Mary Poppins Returns. 2019, Endgame. For Jackie, she went <clears throat> Toy Story 3, Muppets, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, Star Wars Rogue One, Coco, Mary Poppins Returns, and Aladdin. So now it's time for us to decide independently, of course, what we think the best film of the decade was. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? You go first. I'm actually, I, I had it in my head the entire time and now I'm kind of second guessing it. Again, it's not what you think. It's actually not Frozen. I will say that much. Um, I love Frozen. I'm definitely on board with the whole phenomenon but I think the reason, part of the reason that I love it so much is because of Idina. And I've been a fan of hers forever. And I love the music. And Frozen is one of my favorite films because there's so much that I have to latch onto. Is it the best compared to what it's up against? No. Okay. Heard. 
the popular opinion and the popular answer and something I'm really struggling with right now is Endgame. Because as I go down this list, Endgame, it's one of the best films of the decade. For sure. I Love You 3000. I Am Iron Man. The way that Tony Stark goes out in that film was absolute perfection. It found a way of tying up the MCU. However, that film, and it did pay off. The film paid off. It had 10 years of buildup, 10 years of backstory. But nothing on this list, Star Wars included, needed a reboot, a refresh, and a modern contemporary look than the Muppets. I think of all of these films, what Jason Siegel did with the Muppets was brilliant. It felt like a Muppet movie. It introduced the Muppets to a generation of children that didn't know who they were, which is a, which is a crime, by the way. I have to say, I do think the best film of this decade was The Muppets. And I have to agree. Up until just moments ago when we did the full list, in my mind, the film of the decade was actually Coco. And it's like what I was saying before, is that Frozen's great, and I'm a huge fan, but as far as actually things to relate to, I connect more with the family story of Coco. Not to mention that film is just stunning on all levels but what it comes down to for me it's exactly what you said I mean Jason Siegel breathed new life into the Muppets and he made it modern and the music was just incredible you know it did get recognized by the Academy and it told a great story and like my eyes were welling up as I was explaining and building up to why this was the best one and and the movie is nine years old. It'll be nine years old as of tomorrow, in terms of the turning into the you know turning the calendar year, not necessarily nine years to the release date, but that was a November, November release. That was November. Yeah. Um, but nine years, and and I still get misty when I talk about this movie, and when the film came out, you get you know the wide range of emotions having grown up with them um but when they finally pull it all together for the first time not not when they were doing rehearsals and it was clunky and very funny but when when the camera goes live and they launch into the open to the muppet show mm -hmm. i lost it and i think we saw this in theaters 3 times and I lost it every single time we yeah. saw it. I still have yet to make it through without crying. Which isn't saying much because it's the same with Coco and it's the same with Endgame. It, you know what? It's It was almost very hard to pick that against Endgame too because Endgame, you know, at, well, at the same time, it's, it is almost like the same thing because the Muppets are, they've had their own history. They've been going on for a lot longer than... We've been watching Marvel movies, but it it was kind of hard to pick it against that because 
it was Endgame was such a statement. The thing, with it, Endgame, and it had to be right. Now, here's the thing with Endgame that makes it so impressive, other than the fact that it's a fantastic movie. The margin for error here was so wide because this is such the, the scope of this universe is so huge, right? And they've been doing so much to build on it for so long. I mean, you have, what, 18 movies that you're keeping track of Longer. to wrap up? I, th- I think it was like 21 films. It was a lot. So so to have that many over the course of a 10-year span, and you nailed it as much as you did. Right. And that many characters and that many storylines to keep track of. But by and large, with the exception of only a couple, most of these Marvel films are outstanding. So this is nothing short of what anybody thought it was going to be. I don't think anybody thought The Muppets was going to be what The Muppets was. Right. Endgame had to meet and exceed expectations, and it absolutely did. But I I just fell in love with Muppets all over again. So we want to know what you guys have to say. Let us know what your favorite film of the decade is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. I want to talk about 2019. The calendar year of 2019. We've already gone over the films that Disney released. But I want to shift focus now to the films that we reviewed in 2019 on Monoreal Radio. I need to know, what was your favorite movie that we reviewed on the show? This may surprise you. I really enjoyed... When we did Lady and the Tramp, and I think as far as like a viewing experience, I enjoyed watching that the most because that's one of the ones that kind of got lost over the years and that I haven't watched recently. But I think as far as what I enjoyed the most for the show was actually when we did the High School Musical trilogy. Because, I mean, watching the movies were actually painstaking, but when we were putting sorry guys the force calls to me this is what happens when you hit me with it (laughs) no since that day (laughs) sean's lightsaber makes noises like since that day it never did it before but it does it now it calls to me i think you need to change the batteries maybe please continue what you were saying though (laughs) about high school musical the viewing experience that was torturous don't get me wrong but I think I enjoyed doing those shows the most because it really gave us a chance to like flex our creative muscle because they're so bad. We came up with so many different alternative endings and that was that was kind of fun. That was like a collaborative endeavor between you and I of how we would have fixed them. That was fun. Um, I really enjoyed breaking down Endgame with jimmy and frank from the dopey dudes podcast that was fun too um which congratulations to them um seems like they're wrapping up their podcast uh but you guys had a great show it was always a lot of fun congratulations you should be very proud of what you accomplished we also had so much fun doing mary poppins returns with john sicari of bigfatpanda.com but most of that didn't make the episode <laughs> yeah there was a lot that, didn't that was make fun the for different that reasons. was fun for different reasons but um Yes, High School Musical, a ton of fun, but I was so excited to finally get to talk about The Rocketeer when we did The Rocketeer. I was so happy that I finally got to talk about my movie, and you know what? I don't like to gloat, but the downloads backed me up on that. (laughs) The movie is a cult classic. 
people love the Rocketeer. I want more Rocketeer. We are getting that little animated thing, though, that animated show, which I think is going to Disney Junior, but I haven't seen anything about that recently. But even I am going to watch that <laughs> and be totally invested in it. I don't care if it's meant for a five-year-old. No, Rocketeer was a good one. And yes, I, I was pleasantly surprised at the response we got from that. Yes. For those of you who listen every week, you know that we do news of the week. We're going to do news of the year. Disney Plus. That's it. That's it. Just Disney Plus. <laughs> Joking aside, I will say that as we are now a month and a half into the run of Disney Plus, I'm very impressed with it. The interface is basic. Yes, it looks like Netflix, but Netflix. What else are you going to do? Like they all, they all pull from each other. I don't know what else you want. I and, and I will say that um, we have not experienced some of the technical issues that people have experienced with getting booted off um, of the server. If there's one criticism I have of it, I think I've mentioned this before. They should have allowed download and sign up uh, of the app actual application. Far before its release day. Sure. If there was one flub, that was it. But I think Disney Plus is a keeper. And I think that the content they're putting out is absolutely spectacular. Across the board, I mean, obviously Mandalorian is very popular. Um, Baby Yoda is... Oh, we shouldn't we shouldn't call the it child. that. It's the child, I know. The Even asset. Bob Iger was corrected. So, yes, the child. But we all know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, that's its own phenomena. Probably we haven't seen the likes of since Frozen, where everybody's yeah. just latched onto it and the memes are hysterical. Um, Lady and the Tramp was excellent. We're going to be reviewing that within the next couple of weeks. Um, but even, you know, the production value on some of the other shows, like Encore was probably the one that took me the most by surprise. I was looking forward to it. Of course, because Kristen Bell is behind it. And I thought the concept was really unique. Um, but the way that they tell the stories every week about people revisiting who they were in high school and the way that they are able to capture some people like truly finding themselves and truly changing. It's it's just beautiful. And um, the Imagineers doc. I mean, yeah. Oh, come on. That was so good. Um, I knew Imagineering was going to be great. I am having a lot of fun with High School Musical, the musical, the series. It's better than I thought it was going to be. I kind of like this modern family way of shooting it that they've gone about. Um, I think that it does add a new element to it. Um, I like it is a parody. I like that it's tongue in cheek. I don't know how much they can do with it after they actually put on the performance of High School Musical. Um, right, because I already think it's about four episodes too long. So that's fun, but I would agree with you. My surprise is Encore. I look forward to watching that every single week, and I didn't think... When, when you say the... Man, and listen, nothing's better than The Mandalorian. It's just... Stop. Nothing's better than The Mandalorian. But if you would have asked me, what are you the most excited for other than The Mandalorian, Encore would not have been the show I would have said pre-launch. Right. But since then, it's really taken off and it's grown on me. And I think, you know, it's going to be an interesting year for Disney Plus because obviously, you know, it blew their expectations away. It's got a ton of subscribers. I think that's going to be the focus. And that's also demonstrated by how 
relatively few films are coming out this year. Yes. Disney does have a big slate, but it's like seven big theatrical releases. And if you compare that to a year like 2010, like we just mentioned, it doesn't seem like that many. It doesn't seem like that many, but in looking at the titles here, and there are not a lot of them. But, but they're big. But they're, they're big. And just on on the surface, knowing what we know about them, and in some instances we know more about others than than another one, on the surface it looks like this is going to be a fantastic year for Disney. 2020, in March you have Onward. You also have Mulan. In May, you have Artemis Fowl. In June, you have Soul. July, you have The Jungle Cruise. And then you've got Raya in November, which Andrew Ford discussed when he was on with us a couple of weeks ago prior to the release of Frozen 2. Of these movies, what are you the most excited for? Um, probably Jungle Cruise. I'm excited for Mulan. Um... Because I, I mean, I, I really liked the animated film. Um, the only thing is, I'm not seeing exactly what I want from it musically yet. Uh, but I mean, we've been hyped on Jungle Cruise for a couple of years now, and with everything else that The Rock has done for Disney, I, I think he's gonna knock it out of the park. Yeah, I agree. If if it's not Jungle Cruise, it's Onward, but. Yeah, it's Jungle Cruise for me because I think that this is also going to be a very important movie because I think that if they get it right, I think you're going to see other rides get adaptations. I think you will get, and this would probably go straight to Disney+, Plus. I think you'll get a Haunted Mansion remake, which you desperately need. We loved Tomorrowland, but it didn't do great commercially. We know what Pirates of the Caribbean has become both very good and very bad, but I think this is important because it gives Disney the opportunity to develop within their IPs Mm -hmm. without having to go out and buy something. I love the Marvel acquisition. I love the Lucas acquisition, but you can now take something that was yours, it's yours originally, and you can build around it without just buying something. Right. And I think that's important here. So those are the ones that we're the most excited about. But we want to know which of those films you are the most excited about. Let us know again on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us, not just this week, not just in 2019, but for the entirety of Monoreal Radio. This year has been an amazing year for Monoreal Radio. From the guests that we've had on to having the ability to meet some of you and interact with some of you in the parks and some of you that have reached out to us privately, whether through the email or whether through direct messenger, like we just Christmas cards, Christmas cards. Yes, we have received Christmas cards. I feel like, you know, you guys are why we come back and do this every week. This show does not exist without you. So I can't. Thank you enough for your continued support. And I, the only thing that I think we can agree on that we ask in return is that you share the show. Share it on your Facebook. Share it on your Twitter. Send it to your friends and family that love Disney or just love film. 
you know, give us the rating on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice or on Facebook. Hit the subscribe button because the more you do for us in helping us spread the show, the more we can do for you because Jackie and I have some really big ideas that we'd love to move forward with. And, and it, 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 it starts with you. It doesn't start with us. It totally starts with you, the listener. You know, we started the show towards the back end of 2018. So really, 2019 was our first full calendar year doing it. And when I think of where we were at the beginning of this year in January to where we are now, it just kind of blows my mind how much we've gotten to do because of this show and how many amazing people that we've met because of it. And it just makes me really excited for where we're going to take it next year into the next decade. Yes. And I I left out one group of people in my thank you. And that's to the folks at Disney, the people that were able to facilitate the interview with Andrew Ford. We look forward to doing more with them in the future and being able to put the spotlight on a lot of those animators and the people who work behind the scenes who don't get the credit that they deserve. So thank you to those people, but thank you to the people of the people. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> Disney's got their people. To those who helped get us there, we thank you guys so much. And we are very excited for 2020. And we hope that you guys have a safe, a healthy, and a happy new year. And you know what? I'm going to be that guy. And I'm going to be cliche. We'll see you next year. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical new year, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.